Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Welcome to another Fan Bros special delivery. Uh, This is Chico Leo. And we here at Fambros have just come off an amazing Super Week. A spectacular Super Week. A superior Super Week. But it was an exhausting Super Week, and I had to bathe in my Lazarus pits that I have steaming beneath Castle Chico at the end of it. Uh, But I have emerged, recharged, and regenerated, and you're going to hear a huge Comic-Con or Super Week and Comic-Con wrap-up episode on our regular episode of Fan Bros later this week where you can hear from the whole team. Um, I don't even know how we're going to be able to even condense all the crazy experiences into an hour, an hour and a half, but um, we'll try. I just want to definitely give a real quick shout-out to Black Girl Nerds and all the really great folks at the Afro Future Fest who really contributed to kicking our Super Week up from amazing to spectacular to even superior. But tonight, we are back to talk about TV, and we are back to talk about zombies. No, we're not talking about Fear the Walking Dead anymore. We are just talking about the regular Walking Dead. And it was definitely like seeing the opening act and, you know, the Fear of the Walking Dead was like watching the opening act and the Walking Dead was definitely the headliner. This was, uh, they, they always have managed to do great premieres. Even when I thought the, sh- the show was shaky in the first two seasons, the first two seasons premieres were amazing. I thought the pilot was amazing. This was another really, really dope episode or dope premiere at that. Um, they started off in media Ross or in the middle of the action uh, in the future. And as everyone, I'm sure, caught all the flashbacks were that happened basically between when the last season ended and now were all in black and white. And the current stuff was all in very, very vivid color. I don't know if they were using like different, um, you know, tints or different lenses or anything like that, or if it was just the cutting back and forth with the black and white. Um, the black and white definitely had a grainy feel to it. I don't know if they were trying to go for like an homage to Night of the Living Dead. As we know, um, there are no zombie references in this world, in the world of The Walking Dead. It's just like ours, except they don't know anything about zombies. So that means there's no George Romero movies. However, it does look like at least Sasha and Abraham have seen Mad Max 3. Because while everyone on the show is in various uh, stages of you know post-traumatic stress... Abraham and Sasha are on some kind of suicide quest, you know, like somewhere between Thelma and Louise and, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, it seems like. Um, I was so, yeah, I was half expecting them to start spraying chrome paint all around their max and all around their mouths and, you know, scream, witness me, witness me. That's what they say, right? The war boys. But, yeah, so everybody seems, uh, you know, they're living in this uh, utopian suburbia, but everyone is, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are still, let's say, on edge. 
Um, Michonne is her regular unflappable self. Morgan, who has joined the crew at the very end of the last season and has been sort of kept quarantined or in jail for some period of time, um, is still his Zen self. And uh, he's he's he sort of seems to have it more figured out, um, at least the the world figured out now and and maintaining his humanity. Uh, Rick, you know, Rick, he, his, he's, he's, he's holding on, but, uh, he's holding on by his, uh, by his fingernails. Um, so yeah, this episode was called first time again, and it was written by Scott Gimple. Who's the showrunner who was brought on in like the third season who really stabilized everything and directed by Greg Nicotero, who actually got his start on the Romero movies. So there, there, there is a you know like a, a a connection, an actual physical and spiritual connection to to those movies. Um, there's a dude who was introduced just in this episode, Carter. I had to look his name up uh, on, on the internet, but um, Carter does not like what's going on. And I think if you put yourself in the people's uh, sit, you know, in the people's shoes who live in Alexandria, the town that you know Rick and his crew have you know, nicely bum-rushed and nicely taken over, but, you know, they have bum-rushed and taken it over. You know, only a, they've only done a nicer version than what the people did in Terminus who took, you know, who took over Terminus and started raping people and eating people until, you know, the survivors managed to fight back and then they started raping people and eating people. So... um I doubt that um, the show, even if it lasts another... 15 seasons will ever get to the point where Rick is, you know, raping and eating people. But I, as, as the memes have pointed out, uh, Rick just has less fucks to give each season. And he's, and, and not only that, there was this other thing uh, where in, you know, and I think it was just in the flashbacks, but in all the flashbacks, he had all these bandages on his face from uh, having, having gotten his face pounded in. Uh, which happened at the end of the last season, which just added to his sort of, you know, creepy, you know, we, we know him and we know why he's edgy and, and kind of intense and creepy, but um, put yourself in the shoes of the people in Alexandria. Like I, I definitely think it's totally realistic that they would have that meeting. And, and it would have been really dope if they had done the entire first episode just from the point of view of the people in uh, in Alexandria, you know, showing our heroes in in their mo- in their craziest light, you know, from the points of view of people who don't have any idea what they've been through and just see, you know, violent, crazy, dead eyed people. Of course, we don't see them that way. And one of the things that's getting really crazy and one of the reasons the show has gotten so much better is because when you go down, they have quite quite a big cast. And I there's no one on the show. Okay, the, the Episcopalian pr- uh, priest, that, that I, I definitely am ready to see him get eat, eaten by a zombie. And I've been ready, like most people, pretty much uh, since shortly after he was introduced. But other than him, I, I actually don't want to see anyone die. I mean, they, they they props to the show. They really do a good job in terms of making you care about all these characters. I mean, I still thought about Tyrese and Beth during during this episode, um, and I felt bad that they didn't get to uh, you know to 
to have their coffee makers and waffle irons in Alexandria. But um, we're also introduced to a new crew. Um, and one dude, uh, there, there was definitely a nice moment uh, between uh, the uh, dude with the uh, Tennessee uh, flat top or whatever he calls his mullet and uh, the new dude, uh, a bedreaded, beglassed and bedreaded dude who uh, they had a nice, or at least uh, the one dude had a nice moment, hair moment with him. Um, but it's, uh, you know, basically, the, oh, so the plot in the present, that that's actually the, the, the big story and all the action and all the crazy, crazy zombie masses that we see. So apparently the reason Alexandria has not been that harassed is because it lives near some kind of natural and man-made uh, roach motel for zombies. So I, I didn't exactly catch what happened, but basically some humans created a situation and drew zombies into it. And then I guess some of the humans turned in the camp and then you basically had this situation where it was just all these zombies being funneled into this giant, giant valley and they can't get out. Uh, however, it's been a while and rains and just general natural, you know, movements of natural things are causing the zombies to be able to get out. So Rick comes up with a pretty outrageous plan to try and actually lure out and lead the zombies elsewhere. And it's a really elaborate plan involving flares and people driving really slow on the highway to keep these hordes of zombies behind them, which was pretty amazing because there was one shot where you just see Daryl on his motorcycle sort of very slowly coming along. And you see all these zombies in the background. And he's just come over a hill. And then like five seconds later, the zombies come over the hill behind him. And you realize that there's, you know, tens of thousands of them. Uh, and Sasha and Abraham are with them and uh, basically trying to trying to out balls each other or something um, that that's definitely a situation that that bears watching on some level. Um, so, yeah, at the end, they, they managed to lure the zombies and then a horn goes off like an air horn really loud. And the zombies are attracted to noise and movement. And there was definitely some clever stuff in the uh, in the episode where um, they use balloons at one point to attract the zombies. And at another point, some zombies start wandering off because there's like some mylar, some like bright metally mylar metallic mylar in the trees that's uh, flashing light and attracting them and that's when abraham jumps out of the moving car to go handle it um there's definitely uh they, they they've come up with every episode there's a new way i don't think we've ever seen them throwing zombies off a cliff so we had that um but yeah rick is uh Rick is definitely on edge, and any chance he had with the lady next door whose husband he murdered, well, he probably, murdering her husband and the father of her children probably dampened some of some of the, uh, some of his game somewhat with, with that lady, but the, um, after killing the father of of her of her kids and her husband, who was beating her and and definitely deserved it, there, there's definitely no doubt, and and inadvertently killed the dude who built the wall, who apparently was very nice and very kind and very smart. Um, Rick refuses to bury P 
Pete is the dude's name. Rick refuses to bury Pete in Alexandria. So they bring him out into the woods. And the son legitimately wants to know where his father is buried. And he comes out after them. And Rick, you know, gives him a stern talking to and puts his hands on him. Totally legitimate given the circumstances. But that pretty much put the kibosh on, I I would say, for a while, any chance that he has with uh, the next the widow next door. Um, However, uh, he is building up his own dope household because it seems like he's living in a house that contains at least Michonne. I think Carol lives there and now Morgan has moved in. And I definitely hope that they do an episode that's just a Monopoly game of those four characters because that would be really dope. But yes, so the end of the episode is this air horn basically undoing everything that our heroes have done this episode. And they're luring the zombies right towards Alexandria. Um, I'm not, I have not been reading the comics, but I've definitely been hearing a lot about Nagan, Nagan, Nagan. So I'm assuming that Nagan has something to do with this. And that he has something to do with the wolves, graffiti, and the all the zombies that we've seen with W's in their foreheads and those dudes carving W's in people's foreheads uh, last season. Um, and uh, Glenn, we had some Glenn stuff. Glenn, there was a dude last season who uh, lured Glenn out into the woods to kill him because Glenn had seen him be weak and whack. And Glenn is all magnanimous and has befriended the dude now and is sort of slowly, he's taking him under his wing and is slowly training him. I, you know, I don't know. In the world of The Walking Dead, that really doesn't come back, uh, you know, well on you. Because basically, this can go either one of either ways. The dude's either going to let Glenn down and get Glenn killed or Maggie, or the dude is going to get killed himself and then Glenn is going to feel all guilty. Um, Rick, Rick, on the other hand, who clearly gives less fucks than Glenn does. Uh, He actually has a dope speech about the dude Carter where he doesn't kill him, but he says it doesn't matter because this world is going to kill, you know, this guy just isn't fit for this world. And it's an interesting concept because none of the people, they're all veals. They're all veal. Like they've been just in this totally lucky situation where that they, they, they had a dude in the town who knew how to build walls. They lived near the Costco or whatever that had all the materials. And then there was this roach motel for zombies nearby that was basically attracting all the zombies and they couldn't get out. So they, they literally have all this time been living this totally, or not totally normal, but basically pretty normal suburban life. They had power, they had food, they had blenders, they had, you know, pizza night. So, basically, Rick knows this dude just can't survive now that the world has come to them. Uh, and, well, Rick and them have brought the world to them. It, it, it's an interesting concept because if, though, if Rick and them had never shown up, basically those people would have lived their lives, a very normal, stress-free life given the circumstances. And then one day all those zombies would have shown up and that kind of would have been it. But they probably had, you know, at least a, you know, a few more months of barbecues and movie nights. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll never know because Rick and, and his crew did show up. And things, uh, you know, think, 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 good things don't follow them. So uh, we'll we'll see next week. I do uh, recall that the episode ended when it cut to black. You could still hear the horn. It was very haunting. 
So the episode uh, might not have been the best premiere overall of all of them, but it certainly was the most stylish and stylized. And I definitely thought it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited it's back. And it definitely was a step up even from the season six. Uh, I mean, the episode six of Fear the Walking Dead, which I apparently my Chinese food arrived uh, right right at the wrong moment during. Uh, if you listen to last week's uh, special delivery. But this week, in addition to New York Super Week and Comic-Con, there were uh, several premieres on uh, superhero-themed premieres this week. And I'm going to wait until next week to talk about The Flash with either uh, Ben-Hameen, Kimsonian, or Illawic, because I know they definitely want to talk about it. Uh, but The Flash is back. Arrow is back uh, in, in an episode titled Green Arrow. So... Uh, you know, I guess you can imagine what happens in this episode. But, you know, the the Arrow, this is the fourth season of Arrow. And the third season was definitely a stumble and it for the show. And it was for several reasons. I actually thought that the second season was one of those really great seasons of TV. I would even recommend people. I mean, I would recommend people start Arrow from the beginning. It's on Netflix. But if you were just going to watch a season, I would recommend the second season. I just thought it was really fantastic. One of the things that sets Arrow apart from other shows or one of their stylistic things is that about a third of each episode is flashbacks. So the first two seasons were flash of how basically Oliver Queen has become you know, who he is, which is the arrow up until the very end of this episode when he's now the green arrow. But um, the flashbacks from the first two seasons were on this island, on the island. And that was definitely, I, I thought, really, really, really dope. And the third season was completely not on the island. And the, just we're talking about the flashbacks. And, and that just didn't, it wasn't... It just wasn't as compelling. I mean, part of it was because Manu Bennett was so dope and and the other characters on the island, the dude who trains uh, Oliver, his daughter, the mercenaries. So, uh, you know, they, they just didn't have as much to work with, I feel like, in the flashbacks of the third season. And then in the present day stuff in the third season, there was just, a, it just got all mired in, 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 in stuff with, with Ra's al Ghul, who they call Ra's al Ghul. And his this is actually a problem with the mainstreaming of uh, you know of, of of all this comic book stuff. What what do you uh, what, you know you could you, before you only had to say it in your head or you know argue with your friends about it. But yeah, I say Razal Ghul, uh, they say Rachel Ghul, and it just um, I I, I like the character and I like the stuff. I. I I just it it just was a little too lugubrious and dark, and it felt like, uh, you know, just like one long ghetto boys song, you know, from sort of start to finish, but not not in a good way, you know, like not you don't want to hear a you know twenty two hour ghetto boys song. You might think you do, but you don't. So it just was sort of you know very uh, nobody was happy. Uh, I I don't know. Um, so this one, they've clearly tried to change things. It starts out, Oliver and Felicity have declared their love for each other. She's still, you know, the acting CEO of um, 
is it uh you know not stark um you know what's his face the adam his his uh his industries and they've moved to some wonder bread you know california it's uh well i'm i'm assuming they were in coast city but there was in the flashbacks in this in this uh, fourth season so far uh, oliver starts out in coast city and we actually see Coast City is, of course, where Hal Jordan's Green Lantern is from. And at one point, we definitely see a guy in a uniform with that says Jordan on it. And so that that might have just been an Easter egg. I don't I don't imagine Hal Jordan's going to be showing up, but um, it definitely is some very Wonder Bread community. Oliver's gotten really into it. He's into being domestic. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and be sort of super lenient and generous and say that just Oliver's been super, super fucked up since he, you know, first landed on the island. And at this point, he's just sort of able to adapt to whatever situation he's in because he's lived in an island. He's lived in a prison or an oil rig. He's lived in, you know, various uh, temples in Nanda Parbat. Uh, he's lived in a in a mansion. He's lived in the Arrow Cave. So he's been homeless in Hong Kong. Um, so I'll, Oliver definitely, I'm going to say, is just sort of adapting the way that he always does. But he's making omelets and souffles and planning on um, proposing to Felicity while in Star City, formerly Starling City, now Star City, the former Arrow team are having trouble with a whole new crew of supervillains called, they, they refer to them as the Ghosts. We're definitely led to believe that this is going to be Hive or the Hive, which I definitely remember from uh, New Teen Titans in the 80s. But they are sort of, I guess you could say, like DC's version of Hydra or something like that. One of the great things that's making me feel uh, dope about this season is the introduction of Neil McDonough as Damien Dark. Uh, a lot of people probably recognize him as, among other things, Dum Dum Dugan from Agent, uh, well, from Peggy Carter, Agent of Shield, and from the Captain America first Captain America movie, anyway. And he's been a lot of other things. He was uh, a really dope villain on Justified a few seasons ago. He was on Band of Brothers. He shows up in everything. Anyway, he's really good. And I felt if if Ra's al Ghul was the villain last year, I mean, the dude who played him just wasn't as anywhere near as compelling as Manu Bennett. And I'm not saying Neil McDonough is going to be as compelling as Manu Bennett, but he definitely, he brings a lot to the table. And Damian Dark is dope too. Um, so let's get back to Team Arrow. So Team Arrow is now, uh, well, it's still Black Canary, the Black Canary that everyone likes less than the original Black Canary. Thea, who actually died and was resurrected in the Lazarus Pits, she took a longer bath in the Lazarus Pits than I did this evening. Uh, Thea is now, or she wants to be called Red Arrow. She has Oliver's costume, you know, I, I actually found, I don't know what it is, like the superhero costume doesn't necessarily, I don't know. She I found her sort of more compelling as like a ninja in training than a, as a superhero. But um, she is dope. And obviously the uh, Diggle is the, uh, is the third and most important member of Team Arrow. 
And, of course, we were introduced to the quote-unquote Magneto helmet. There's another name that people have argued about for uh, as long as there have been comics. Magneto, Magneto. And um, I'm not so down with the Magneto helmet. I, I don't, I mean, a lot of people were like, why doesn't Diggle get a suit? Why doesn't Diggle get a suit? I mean, I'm fine with him getting the suit. I think it would have been much doper if they had given him the same mask that everyone else has. Um, the, the helmet looks very silly and it seems like it would really restrict your vision. So I'm not so down with it. Uh, what Diggle is not down with, however, is Oliver returning and Diggle still holds a grudge because Oliver as a ruse to, you know, fool Ra's al Ghul, Ra's al Ghul, he kidnapped uh, Diggle's wife and infant kid. Which, infant daughter, which, you know, obviously people are going to get, you know, get up in arms about. However, when you're dealing on the levels of, you know, superheroics that these guys are dealing with, as even Diggle's wife points out, you know, I mean, Oliver, you know, he didn't actually kidnap them. So, I don't know. Clearly, Diggle's going to come around. Um, Felicity has been, of course, working with Team Arrow all this time, even as she's been traveling around the world with Oliver. And uh, he, I think, rightfully is a little peeved about that. Um, you know, when you're with your girlfriend in Bali and, you know, she keeps saying she's sick and stuff like that. And so to help all the people that you uh, that you left behind, that's got to sting. So, yeah. So the episode starts with Oliver planning on giving Felicity uh a wedding ring his mother's engagement ring and ends with him back in star city uh, assuming the mantle of the green arrow and he even goes on tv and produces a video and tells everyone about it the one big uh reveal this season is that captain lance is working with or for damien dark now i definitely I'm assuming because he seemed pretty, you know, staunch and incorruptible. You know, each of these shows, you know, Gotham has Gordon, Flash has uh, West. And, uh, you know, they all have at least one sort of, you know, strong cop character who, you know, is incorruptible. So maybe he's working undercover for him. We'll see. Um and uh, the biggest thing is and then in the flashbacks, we go back five years, start out in Coast City where we see Hal Jordan and end up with Oliver on the island again, which I was really psyched about. Um, now, some of the stuff that I really liked about those storylines, characters have been killed, characters have gone insane and turned into supervillains. So it's obviously going to be different and I'm definitely psyched to see. So another superhero show was uh, Gotham is uh, had the third episode. It was called Rise. I think this whole season, each episode is Rise of the Villains colon something. This one was Rise of the Villains, the last laugh. Uh, and, and this one had a big, big surprise in it. So spoiler alert if you didn't watch Gotham. But Jerome, who uh, was played by Cameron Mon or is played by Cameron Monaghan, and was a real breath shot in the arm to the show when uh, people thought, you know, how are they going to replace Fish Mooney? And in a few episodes, he's really, 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 really killed it. And 
him and just the overall focusing on more serious villains has definitely turned the show around, at least in the short term. And I say in the short term because Jerome got killed in this episode. And Theo Galvan, uh, the big, the sort of big honcho villain, played by James Frain, killed him and is using it as a way to worm his way. He killed him in front of Gotham's finest, uh, or wealthiest, rather, to save them and and it was all a ruse except for the killing part but this is theo galvan's way of worming his way into the sort of hearts and minds of gotham society um that was a big shock uh i was expecting jerome a to be the joker and if he had to do work on other shows i just thought they would either just send him to arkham or you know, write them out for uh, a few months like the comics would do with the Joker. But they definitely stabbed him. And and one of the, uh, in the neck, and he was definitely in a morgue. One of the dopest things, though, was that basically he, his spirit or his effect of chaos has already affected Gotham, infected Gotham, I should say. And so there was a weird but cool moment where... He's lying in the morgue with the big shit-eating grin on his face and other people start committing Joker-esque, directionless, terrorist-type crimes and and laughing maniacally. So it, it sort of didn't totally make sense, but I thought it was a dope effect and either, you know, Jerome is going to come back in some way or... His he will in fact be the spiritual godfather of the man that we know as the Joker. Another thing that happened in this episode was actually this: we saw if Jerome is in fact the Joker, we saw the first meeting between Bruce Wayne and the Joker, and it happened when both of them are kids, and that's kind of cool. I mean, uh, Jerome has got to be like sixteen, seventeen at least, but um, you know, Bruce is still. I'm I'm a little worried that dude is going to be could potentially become like a real gawky, weird looking kid that just one can't imagine as Batman, but perhaps that won't happen. There was some really unnecessary stuff with uh, Alfred kicking it to uh, Jim Gordon's girlfriend, uh, Lee. And, uh, eh, I mean, that, that you know, I don't, I don't know. I like I like a lot of the business they've given Alfred. That, that was a little weird and, and out of nowhere. And I, I don't know if it's going to, you know, they, they definitely nipped it in the bud with uh, him actually seeing... Gordon and Lee kissing later in the episode. But uh, there there was some good stuff in, in here. And these first three episodes have been really good. And the rise of the villains focused. It's just everything is darker. Jo- uh, Jerome in previous episodes basically killed a whole bunch of cops, including Essen, the captain, and above Gordon. And Gordon is there's just a darker Gordon and a darker Bullock. Um, I do think that Bullock was corrupt enough in the first season, though, that it is a little weird that they've just swept. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Harvey Bullock and I love dude who plays him. But I just think it's a little surprising that Gordon is just sort of let bygones be bygones and swept that all under the rug. I mean, I think it's implied that Harvey killed people. Maybe he didn't. But um, yeah, Gordon now, though, is willing to uh, to do to to throw people out of windows and consult with the penguin. And the penguin is worried because the Joker is getting all of his uh, all of his press. 
But the Penguin seems to be sitting pretty in, in his lair, and I'm hoping we'll see more from him. I'm wondering if they're going to put, if that dude is going to gain weight at any point. And I think that's about it for, for this week, and we'll save Flash for when uh, someone else on the team is here to discuss it, and we'll discuss the first two episodes. I uh, really liked the season premiere, the second season premiere of The Leftovers. I watched it after the special deli- we recorded the special delivery last week and so and people definitely want it it seems like a lot of people are watching it i i actually i really liked the first episode a lot they they changed that there are a couple of characters that are the same but most of the episode focused on this black family and, and a show that you know i don't think had had any co- characters of color other than the mayor of the town and the the some weird prophet guy um, so this was, you know, uh, focusing on a family and then our, the family from the main, from the first season moves in and it seems like maybe the show is going to focus on these two families in the only town in America that hasn't been affected by this, you know, 2% of people disappearing. Although at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, someone disappears. Um, I'm also watching, uh, from Dust Till Dawn on the El Rey Network, which I think is really great. And I think it does right what a lot of things that they did wrong in both True Blood and The Strain. Both The Strain and True Blood did do some things right, but they did a lot of things wrong. And I feel like uh, From Dust Till Dawn does what they did right and does what they did wrong, those other shows did wrong right. And it does it with all this crazy Aztec mythology. They actually have a like college professor on on staff and on call who they consult with. They have a consulting, you know, Aztec professor. So there's a really great mythology. There's a lot of um, you know a lot of vampires. It's set in the Quentin Tarantino universe. There's big Kahuna burger, and they smoke the red apple cigarettes and. There's other stuff, so who knows? Maybe we might see some more people from that universe. We did talk to actually Robert Rodriguez and the cast. Uh, we got a really great uh, roundtable interview with with Robert Rodriguez and all the mem- well, most of the members of the cast of From Dust Till Dawn, which will go up on fanbros.com. There's already been some great interviews put up, and as we cut them, they're going to be going up. So you definitely want to check fanbros.com, and you definitely want to check out um, From Dust Till Dawn if you haven't uh, already checked it out. There's a show on BBC America that started that I hear is good called Last Kingdom. I haven't seen it yet, but um, it's in that vikings uh bastard executioner mold i hope much closer to the vikings than the bastard executioner and um that that, that's about it for uh you know things are coming coming hot and heavy fargo is premiering this week if if you uh enjoyed the first season which i did i don't think that's something we're going to talk about but it does have the dude who played uh who played todd from breaking bad and kirsten dunst this is another one like American Horror Story where each season is totally different. Um, I don't know that if there's any cast members that are going to be rolling over, but it's a totally different uh, different setting, different cast that are you know in, in that Fargo, North Dakota area. And um, 
few other things coming up, uh, other shows coming up, and, uh, you know, this is the season. So let us know what you're watching. Keep your eyes peeled on fanbros.com. And thank you once again, everyone who, you know, came out to the Super Week events and everyone who was at Comic-Con and everyone who couldn't come to the Super Week events or Comic-Con but is listening to the show and writing in guac questions and generally keeping us on our toes. All right, peace. Fan pros, F-A-N-P-R-O-S, for all nerds. Fan